My title, One Another Soul Care in the Body of Christ. In the coming weeks here, um, we're going to look at, in, 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 in a real way, where I have been orbiting, if you will, with God's Word over the last uh, two months when I've had the opportunity to do the share times on Sunday morning. A continuation and an expansion, if you will. Um, We've been looking at the way Jesus counsels men and women. The main title is, How Does Jesus Humble Us? Pride being the root of a seeking satisfaction, contentment, joy, identity uh, in anything but Christ and anything but trusting him. And we're prone to wander, and his disciples did too. Yeah, it changes post-Pentecost. And yes, however, Jesus is still the same. He is both motive and model for us to approach each other. Uh, If you will remember some of the Sundays that we've had the opportunity to look at how Jesus rolls up his sleeve and sets about to humble people who are wayward. Uh, The two favorite stories of mine that I shared with you, and we looked at for some some details, Mark 4 and the boat with the storm, and uh, just the wonderful situation of Martha going ballistic in the kitchen, right? So life-threatening and dinner party go bad. And in both cases, they both write to Jesus' face and say, you don't care, do you? Did that sting? Yeah, yeah, probably. But he probably was smiling anyway because he knew what was going to happen. He was sleeping in the boat because he trusted his father. He knew he was going to be woken up by these people who were being sinfully controlled by fear. They took those opportunities to reveal their heart with a heart treasured. And often it was a very, very good thing but made an ultimate thing because it controlled them. It was an ultimate thing in that they were willing to sin to keep it, sin to get it, sin if it was threatened to fall between their fingers. He revealed their heart, and then in his counsel to them, after a deserving rebuke, as gentle as it often was, or maybe difficult as it was for the disciples to hear, because he rebuked them, And they knew they deserved that rebuke. But he had already also revealed himself, his all-importance and his all-sufficiency. And that corrects your heart. It moves you. Luke 6.44, Jesus said, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's what was happening in these situations. That, That is what happens in your life. And it's therefore no surprise that if you open up the chapters of Luke afterwards, you find story after story of people who are overflowing at the mouth describing what they think is the greatest blessing. In each case, Jesus counsels them. Do you ever notice that? Uh, 9, 10, 11, 12, you have people overflowing at the mouth. Yeah, the woman, okay? Blessed is he, she, she who gave you birth and nurtured you. And Jesus goes, no, no, rather, blessed is, okay? chapter before, the 70 disciples came back, and their collective experience was that they had gone out in all these towns, and Jesus had prepared them, but there was no record of any of the gospel writers saying, ah, you're going to face demons. And they all came back and bubbling like little, uh, little girls, so walking into the room and saying, we had this collective experience that we were able to cast out demons. And what does Jesus do when they're rejoicing? But he rejoices with them. He says some wonderful things about society. You know, Satan cast down and so forth. But then the pin drop came. You know, the, the, 
the T-Mobile, no, no, excuse me, the Sprint, I can still say that, brother, right? The Sprint, you know, <laughs> needle, drop. When Jesus all of a sudden said, ah, but don't rejoice that the demons obeyed you. What? Jesus will play back the tape of the last 25 minutes, that's what you were doing, you know? Uh, what do you mean, do not? No, no, rather rejoice in. In other words, he, there's a gentle rebuke there, very gentle. But uh, uh, moving, moving away from like, don't park your heart there. It's temporary, transitional. We're not here to unpack that text today. But this is the pattern of what Jesus does. Don't park your joy there. Real joy lies somewhere else. So he reveals himself. We've already introduced many of the key points about Jesus and his love for us. He rolls up his sleeve and he works on us. He's active, he's present, and he's present in the church today. The slide that we ended with a couple of weeks ago was this. So I'm going to start where I ended up. And I asked the question, how does the living Christ humble us today? How does he come to us? He's ruling and reigning, but he's given gifts to the church. He's on high, he's present with us. But the short answer was these three words, and they deserve time together to unpack these three. His spirit is with us. His word is complete and sufficient. His people, earthen vessels, holding the truth and called to speak the truth together to one another in one anothering. What are we going to do in the future? We're going to continue looking at how Jesus would train us to do as he does with us. To see how the living Christ today calls us to reveal each other's hearts and bring transforming truth of the living Christ to us today for his glory, for his Father's glory in the church today. We're going to flesh out these points as far as method today, looking at these in the big view of one anothering. I often teach this course in an academic setting in Uganda and Haiti and Serbia and so forth. And uh, many of the faculty there say, yeah, you've got to switch it from biblical counseling to one anothering. And so we're in the process in some of the locations of doing that. Uh, one anothering is the bigger picture here. A big view of one anothering. That's where we're going to start at today and narrowing it down to specifically how we use the truth to speak in love in this one another context. In the future, we'll look at a little bit of the Bible psychology. Psychology is a word that means soul, suke, and it's been hijacked over the last 200 years. We're not going to spend a lot of time, if you want. I have lots of resources on that. But we're going to restore uh, Christ to counseling and counseling to the church, which was the motto of the school I went to in Philadelphia at Westminster Seminary called Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. We're going to set out a model which is lifted right out of Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17 called the Three Trees Model. We're going to illustrate that and we're going to apply it to everyday living, to yourself, to everyday family settings, and, and then a little bit more of the difficult settings in which we'll call a little bit more like formal biblical counseling. We had the opportunity, Lucy and I, to teach this in Pennsylvania at a new church plant of a friend of ours up there last March, literally a year ago. We split the teaching into three Sundays in March and two in June. And what we did then was uh, what we, uh, at the very, very end, gave a, a vision of what formal training would look like to take this model and, and learn further. And we have at least one woman now is two-thirds of the way through the 
the uh, Association of Certified Biblical Counselors training to be certified up there and work in women's ministries there in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and others following just to learn the material for their own benefit. So that's how we'll end, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks. I always want to stop and ask you questions, and hopefully I will be able to also teach them a little bit more of a Socratic method. Um, I often teach sitting on a stool for four hours at a time all week. I love it. I like to pester my students and punish them. No, 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 no. I've got to watch the words I use here. Uh, over the years, every single one has passed, but some of them are very bruised. Um, but you know what I mean. So this is a different setting here. Um, I'm not sure. I wanted to start with this slide. I use it elsewhere. But at, uh, Atlanta Reformation Fellowship is really beyond this, but I'm going to start with this slide anyway. This is called Sunday Morning on Baptist Bypass. Okay? Well, here is the bypass. And this is kind of a, we're just going to follow for two or three slides, a metaphor of highway and cars and trucks, okay? If you will. So some of you ladies, if it doesn't appeal to you, okay, you can tune out. I'll kind of wave a flag and you come back on board later, but... Here we are, we're going along on Baptist Bypass on Sunday morning. And you know, Lucy and I have spent most of our life, in fact, our first four years here in Atlanta, in exactly this kind of situation. Rose, person at the front teaching, and afterwards, a few nice words, and boom, to the parking lot, and you're out of there. Okay? And a lot of things we value and treasure here, we already do. But I'm going to show this slide to you anyway. Okay, is this one anothering per the biblical picture? Well, there are some things just to be charitable that are described as one on this slide here. Number one, they're all going in one direction. But okay, that's cool. Okay, that's good. Uh, they have common goals. There's three of them. I put the pulpit, profession, and programs up there. Kind of glues you in one direction. So, that good? Eh. Okay, it's fine. Um, similar speed, yeah. But you know what these things are around the vehicles? These little green thingies and the blue around them, they are, well, my son-in-law let me go in his Kia when he bought it two years ago, and I felt the absolute terror of the car taking over for me. You know? He said, now, swerve to the left, Grant, Dad. <laughs> no, get real close, and the, the, the car will just break all by itself. And it'll go beep, beep, and it'll move you over the line. So it's crash avoidance systems, right? And they're kind of culturally built in. So your brother, you know, you ask those questions about cultural issues. Well, that kind of is where I'm getting at here. Um, we all want to arrive and leave intact, comfortable. We want to avoid the pain to us, unnecessary. We can get it from the pulpit kind of, that's where I'm supposed to get the pain. I'm convicted, Pastor. Really, I'm going to talk to you this week. But don't mention it to anybody else here. And discomfort or risk of actually saying something to somebody else. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to meddle. I will pray for you. If your name and the, the short description of the thing is on the long list, I will. Is that good? Yeah. Is it what the Bible means by one anothering? No. No. So, we all want to end up 
well, not like this, okay? How do you turn off the uh, <coughs> collision, crash avoidance systems uh, uh, to get enough close enough to care? Um, well, okay, if we turn them off, we've got to know that they're there. And I, I, I think that's where I don't have to preach. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here when I'm talking about that. But um, here's another slide. Do you remember things like this? Don't try this at home. It's a professional driver on a closed course. This is my last time I'm going to follow along with this analogy of cars. But I think this actually fits a little bit. What if Jesus is the professional driver who actually wants you to teach you the skills? And what if the Holy Spirit actually arranges in the church for a closed course? Hmm. I'm going to add to that a little bit here. Uh, are there gospel guardrails? Are there grace-supplied bumper pads? Now, the first one here is just my attempt to say, uh, if you actually want to care to somebody and you're careening towards them, what will be the guardrail that keeps you from smash-up picture? I'm going to prime the pump with one of them here, and it is... Matthew 7, 3 through 7, 3 through 5. I don't think I put this on a card. I don't think anyone even has it. Take the lock out of your own eye, and then you can see, right? So the guardrail is your own heart playing the truth to you. The second one is, are there gospel bumper pads? Bumper pads is when another brother comes to you and is sinning against you, is harsh towards you, is ungracious towards you, are there bumper paths that won't avoid dings? You may still get hurt, but you won't get harmed. And there's a difference between hurt and harm. Did it bother Jesus when they came right to his face and said you didn't care at the moment when he cared the most? What in his heart and his love made that just go? Because love covers a multitude of, what's the end? sin. If it means anything, it means in these moments. So what are the grace bumper pads? Okay, I have a card out there, 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. Um, Somebody read that? Who has that card? Sure. I'm going to go back one verse. Yeah, sure. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God would grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, yeah. and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do this. Now, even though that was written to Timothy, who is a pastor in a church, I think the principle applies to everyone there. Um, ESV has three words in there, patiently enduring evil. So a brother can come to you, and one of our crash avoidances, I don't want that to happen to me, so I'm going to hit the parking lot, and I'm going to be gone. I don't want that to happen to me. I don't even want to have to follow that advice. But it's what Jesus calls you to do. Patiently endure evil. Here's another card, 1 Corinthians 6, 7 through 8. Who has that card? Robert. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Do yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Yeah. It is kind of an extreme situation here, but uh, why not rather be wronged? 
the lawsuit was a greater wrong than the wrong being done to you. Did you see that point there? We live in a family of dead people brought back to life. We live in a massive 18 world in which we've been forgiven that $6 billion crime of treason and contempt against the God, the Lord who was there. In comparison, that which a brother can do for you simply, antagonistically, uh, quarrelsome, seeking that, you diffuse. There's grace sufficient. Whatever it was that Paul was given, we know why, of the thorn in the flesh, to keep him humble, okay? We don't know what it was, physical, psychological, whatever, okay? But it was grace sufficient. It was grace sufficient to bear, bear and endure a painful situation which does not harm you, but through that hurt actually makes you grow and makes you useful in the master's hands. So I'm going to end that uh, example right there, (laughs) and hopefully you found it uh, valuable here. The key thing that sets the tone for our entire study together over the coming weeks is a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another And all Jesus' commands that flow from that hang on that. Jesus is both motive and model. If anything ends ringing in your ears at the end of five, six weeks, it will be this truth. Because he loves you is your number one reason and motive that you love all those so loved. But in the same manner that he loved you, are you to love other people. If he loved you patiently, you love patiently. If he endured evil, you endure evil. You need grace. Lord, help us with grace. And he promises grace to his people. I want you to open up uh, or lift up or uh, direct your attention to that, that graphic, what we gave here. And uh, that graphic is from, as I said, the book with many other graphics in here. Uh, you can actually purchase high-quality ones, which I did in this case and had them printed out for you. It's a diagrammatic presentation of, of the over 40 one another's in the New Testament. And these are balloons, and the biggest one, you can't even see the entire point. Uh, you know, this, the red one just goes well off the chart there, and it's love one another. And the balloons are proportional in size as to that thought being repeated in the New Testament. So, of course, love one another is the most important one. And actually, all the sub-balloons, if you will, or the sub-one another, flow from one another, love one another. So, just a quick observation here. What's the next largest balloon, if you will? Encourage. Isn't that amazing? It is. It is. What's the next one? Greed. Greed. And I was telling Lucy last night, I am so tempted to do a whole message on greeting one another because it has nothing to do with the shake of the hand and the... Well, it includes that, of course, okay? And it goes well beyond a holy kiss, and I don't want to go there either. But, you know, what we're talking about is somewhere between these, you know, handshake in the foyer and the holy kiss and not wanting to talk about the subject, greeting... Greeting Christians, well, you know, all of us prayed up here, (laughs) and one of the greatest joys of going overseas is greeting other beliefs that you've never met, and singing and raising praise to the God who purchased us from every tribe and tongue and nation. And it's a great 
great, <laughs> uh, very, very good practice that we go and bring greetings from one church to another. Uh, wonderful thing. I, um, again, I'm so tempted to do that. I won't. But what's the third largest one there? Be humble. Be humble. So as I want to encourage you this week is to take this home, and why I printed off as higher quality as one I could at Kinko's this week, is that you can actually look at these. And I want you, just for your own benefit, to diagram or total these on the side, if you will. We'll collect them and grade them next week. Oh, that's right. This is not a class. Okay, skip that. Won't be marking that. But I want to encourage you to itemize which ones are internal attitudes, which Jesus models and flow from love. And which ones are actually things that you do? Last question is, how many of the things that you do cannot be done with words? I think I only find one. I'm going to ask you next week whether you agree with me. Okay? Um, so this, this liberal Christianity view that, you know, spread the gospel, use words if necessary, absolutely bad, bad thing. No, you can't one another without speaking words, in love, in wisdom, following Christ. I want to encourage you to do that next week. What I'd like you to do now is just, I'm going to wrap up, well, two minutes, okay? Yeah, I spent a little bit too long on questions on Burundi, but here we go. The one and others are grounded on two things. Now, we're basically going to cover like eight or nine things in this introduction, so we'll kind of finish them next week. But this one another is very, very important. Many people will ask me when I'm teaching biblical counseling, are you Christ-centered? Are you gospel-centered? And I go, yes to both. I don't think you really can separate the two. And when we were even uh, sitting and learning out of, uh, out of Jeff Walker the last couple of weeks when we unpacked the law of Christ, one of the things that kind of cascades from there is that Jesus is both our motive and our model, and that the imperatives of what we do in Scripture, the truth that builds up, that we're to speak lovingly and wisely to another, orbit around or based upon who Jesus is and who, what Jesus does does. And his doing, his redemptive work is both past, his present, and his future. Those are foundational things that we're just going to unpack in a few weeks. If you miss that, you end up with moralism, or you end up with mysticism, or you end up with, well, who knows, but not biblical. Okay? You get yourself right when you get Jesus right. His person well, let me just read the classic text in Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in him and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Pretty big picture, right? And if he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth and heaven, making peace, peace, by the blood of his own cross. He's also present with us. In the darkest moments of anxiety, 
Philippians 4, 5 says, passage that Steve covered in Philippians not a few months ago, the Lord is near. He is near. James 5, 9 sends a little bit more silver tone. For those who are drifting off, the judge is standing at the door. Not a judge that condemns. Not a judge that's going to stir up your conscience and accuse you. But a judge is standing at the door. He paid for every sin that you would ever commit, for everyone who would believe, everything. Okay? Does it grieve him? Yes, it does. We're going to look in the weeks to come for six things. I'm just going to list them right now, and we're going to talk about them. Uh, for those who have a handout, bring it next week, because it contains basically what we're going to cover next week. Promise more copies. But just quickly, I'm going to list all six so that right now you can leave this morning and say, ah, this is what we're going to unpack. This is the character that flows from the examples that we've seen in Christ. Biblical soul care is caring like Jesus. Well, you said, I've already made that point. There's more things to say. Secondly, biblical soul care that we're going to unpack with you is caring like the apostles. They give multiple examples, and Paul is never shy at saying, imitate me. Look at me. Follow me. And there's some wonderful examples we'll give briefly there. Biblical soul care is characterized by gospel transformation. We are not in the business of anger management. We are not in the business of sin management. We are in the business of redemptive change of people's hearts. That fruit replaces thorny anger, fear, Regret, bitterness. Biblical soul care, fourthly, we'll look at, has two focuses. One is paracletic, and that's the word that we looked at, which is the number one, number two thing on the big balloons. Encouragement. Very, very important is why it's the second biggest balloon after love. Biblical soul care is also characterized by nusetic. But those people have been in the biblical counseling world for a while. You, you know that a guy named Jay Adams invented something called Nucetic Counseling, and that's cool. It was a great foundation. It's a little bit bigger than that now. We'll explore that a little bit. But the Bible has a lot to say about Nucetic, and it's a city, situation where a person's sinning, where paracletic is, you're suffering. And there is an important difference between the two that we'll look at. Finally, finally, biblical soul care is based on the sufficiency of the Bible. Absolutely. It is sufficient, not because it's exhaustive. You won't find anything in there about Internet porn. But the Bible has everything to say about Internet porn. It is, uh, it is completely sufficient because it is comprehensive. Lastly, biblical soul care is focused on interpersonal ministry over against public ministry of the word and public Bible reading. So it's an important thing to do there. All of life... All of life, Psalm 1, 1 to 3 says, all of life is counsel. And every time you open your mouth, you're either directing somebody to the author of life or away from the author of life in some way to manage life apart from Christ. And anything apart from Christ doesn't glorify him. So I want to just stop for a moment here, pray for you, and pray the Lord's blessing on the weeks ahead. Ask you to also join me this week. So again, bring back the, those uh, uh, sheets for next week. I'll bring more. Let me close together uh, with prayer. Father, we thank you that you have given us your son, 
that you've given us a word that is sufficient to open our eyes, light our paths, change our hearts, uh, lead us to those situations where following your son, you will uh, give us wisdom and love to speak truth and love to build up your body for your kingdom. Make the gospel uh, be adorned with graciousness and kindness that the world may say, yes, indeed, you are with us because we love the brethren. And we do so intently, lovingly, caringly for your glory. So as we have this opportunity in the weeks ahead, Lord, prepare us and prepare me and prepare the the lessons that uh, you may open our hearts and we in this congregation, in this time and place, glorify you. For we thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with Him deepened.